The sermon text for today comes from Colossians 1, 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind to doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Christ. He's the preeminent one. He's the one who sustains, created and sustains all things. And I get 30 minutes to tell you a little bit about him. God help me. Let's pray together that Jesus would be revealed to our hearts. God, what a task. A man named Adam From the word dust, a man from the dust who will return to the dust, who only exists because you chose to spoke, speak life into my dry bones. How can I proclaim the wonders of the glories of our risen King Jesus? I pray God you would empower my spirit, by your spirit, and awaken my hearer's spirits by your spirit, that we all would have open eyes to see and hearts to receive, ears to hear, souls that would delight in our enthroned King Jesus. We thank you that this is all possible, that we can gather, we can delight in him, we can see him and serve him Because he entered into our lives. He lived our life for us. Perfectly. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. And he rose from the dead to enable a new creation life. A new humanity to begin in us. Bless us for those kingdom purposes. For the glory of Jesus. Amen. I'm a bit of a, a space nerd. I like to follow the ro- development of rockets and spend even cold evenings just staring up into the night sky, marveling at the stars. The vast beauty of outer space both excites me and humbles me. You think about the vastness of space. It will take an eternity to explore its boundaries. But every week... Humanity makes this a new advance to take one step further into its wonders. So 
A few weeks ago, NASA launched into space a brand new telescope, the most high-powered telescope we've ever sent into space. And this will enable us to see further, deeper, more clearly into the darkness than ever before. And when we turn that telescope out into the blackness, we realize this universe is a lot bigger than we imagined. Our sun which is the closest star to us, is 93 million miles away from us. And it's so big, it can fit 1 million Earths inside of it. And yet, that sun is just a medium-sized star in a Milky Way galaxy full of billions of stars sprawling across 580 quadrillion miles of space. Numbers we can't even comprehend. And yet, when we turn these telescopes away from our own galaxy, out into the black spots of space, we see billions of more galaxies full of billions of stars. But there's one thing that these telescopes can't reveal to us. That Jesus Christ has made all of those galaxies. He rules over every star in every one of those galaxies. He knows all the secrets of all the dark space in between. He has authority and power over the greatest mega stars and over the most powerful black holes. Now, if you could take a telescope and turn it around and look at the person sitting next to you, it would magnify the most tiny details of our lives that hold us together, and it would lead you to equal wonder. Every part of your body is comprised of millions of microscopic energy construction information factories called cells. And inside each cell are a bunch of little machines, microscopic machines, irreducibly complex that we call organelles. And they do all of the work of making your cells function millions of times over in your body. But even more spectacularly, every one of those little organelle machines is made up of molecules, collections of an even more basic structure called an atom. The basic building block of life. And scientists, though they can't see atoms, have, have studied how molecules work and figured out that there is a, a nucleus comprised of protons and neutrons. Tiny, microscopic things that are the building blocks of your life. And even smaller than that, somehow they figured out that these protons are built out of quarks. We don't even know what that means. And all all around this nucleus is spinning really fast. These tiny things called electrons just spinning all over the place, trying to find other electrons and other atoms to pull close so they can build molecules and build life. These electrons are so small and moving so fast, we have no clue what they are. We just know that there must be something there. We don't know where they've been, where they're going. And there are trillions of them flying around in your body. And there are trillions of other bodies all over the planet that have trillions of these things in them. And there are billions of galaxies full of billions of stars with innumerable numbers of these subatomic particles. 
And Jesus Christ knows exactly where every single one of them is. He knows what makes up a quark in an atomic nucleus. He knows exactly how many there are in the whole universe. All of these things held together in constant tension by forces like gravity and magnetism. And then we had to make up one because we don't know what else it's called. So how it works. We just call it the strong force. Yet holding together all of these rules, these laws of physics, Jesus Christ, in him, all things hold together. This is the incredible reality that Paul wants us to set before our eyes in the book of Colossians and live our lives through that lens. In order to persevere in through this life into the next, we must set your mind on Christ over all. Set your mind on Christ over all. No matter what difficult trial or impossible situation or alluring temptation that you face. This is the truth that will strengthen you, establish you, root you to stand firm and endure. This is the truth that guarantees your place in a new kingdom, in a new creation to help you through this cursed, chaotic and confused world. You can have peace through it knowing that Christ is over all. So we're going to begin our summary today of the book of Colossians by camping for a little while just in this hymn of the preeminence of Christ in chapter 1. First in verses 15 to 17, we'll gaze upon the glory of Christ as the ruler of creation. And then move to verses 18 and 20, shifting our attention on Christ, the firstborn of a new creation. And then finally, starting in verses 21 to 23, summarize the rest of the book with a focus on Christ, the head of a new humanity. So let's begin an examination of this incredible hymn, beautifully singing the praises of King Jesus as Christ, the ruler of creation. We'll read it again, just verses 15 to 17. Christ, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things and in him. All things hold together. I don't even want to talk anymore. Let's just camp on that. The book of Colossians is strikingly similar to the book of Ephesians. It shares many of the same concepts and commands. But what's particularly unique about the book of Colossians is the lack of Anything specific, any problems that Paul is addressing in the city of Colossae. Most of Paul's letters, like you saw in Corinthians or Ephesians are, are, and Galatians, are efforts to correct wrong understandings or problems in a local church. But here in the opening lines of chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, Paul just has so much praise for the faithfulness of this little church. A church he had nothing to do with. 
starting. He was in Ephesus preaching the gospel and a man named Epaphras was coming through town, heard the gospel, took the message back to his hometown and shared with all of his neighbors. And the people there responded amazingly like a new creation. They became new people, quickly receiving the word, sharing its life together, being fruitful and multiplying all of these gospel fruits to others. Just like Adam and Eve were called to. Now Paul is writing to this church that he's never met these people to encourage them. Keep on going. Stay faithful. And the best message to give a local church to encourage continued faithfulness is the same message that enabled their faithfulness in the first place. The gospel. The message that Jesus, the eternal son of God, came to be a man, a perfect representative of God. He suffered and died on a cross for sinners. He rose from the dead to overcome death in this cursed world so that all who follow him would be ushered into a new creation as a new humanity. And so Paul has this beautiful song to tell the story of the shift from an old world, an old creation, becoming a new creation. And he does so using this concept of Christ as the firstborn. You can see that word in verse 15 and in verse 18. He says in these first few verses, he emphasizes the glorious and powerful identity of Christ as the firstborn of all creation. So what in the world does that mean? Well, initially... Just before that, he called Jesus the image of the invisible God. If you read Genesis 1, you know that all people were called to, were made in God's image. God's nature is not made up of things in the created world, so we can't see him. People were made to represent him. And Jesus is God's perfect representative. If you look at Jesus, if you learn about Jesus, you will see God. He says himself, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. So you read that far, you might begin to think that firstborn simply means he's the first and greatest creation. As some in history have foretold. And at this point, you should all be getting a little nervous because we now call that heresy. That is a a teaching that will lead people away from truth and to destruction. So Paul must continue to clarify the identity of Christ. He's not simply the first creature, the perfect man. He is himself the creator of the universe. For by him all things were created. Not just most things, except for this one thing. All things were created by him. You can't say that God created him and then he created everything because then it wouldn't be true to say all things were created by him. All things were created by him and for him. He, Jesus, created everything for his own glory. So if he's not God, then he would be committing blasphemy. He would be stealing God's glory. He himself must be God. The one we call Lord, friend, king, comforter, defender, savior is also God, the creator. Firstborn here doesn't mean the first creature in order. 
Paul means that he has the authority of the oldest son, the firstborn son, or God's only son, the one who inherited the universe as God himself. He is above heaven and earth, greater than that vast universe of billions of galaxies. He's the Lord over everything visible and invisible, whether physical, visible kingdoms or spiritual armies, whether visible, physical nature or the invisible forces that hold the atomic particles together. He is the author of history, sovereign over the decisions of presidents and mayors, kings and prime ministers, judges, congresses, parliaments, city councils, whether they are righteous or evil. All of history unfolds according to Christ's decrees. In him, all things hold together. Galaxies swirl around black holes. Molecules fit together with tight bonds with each other. Hurricanes pound against the coastline. Your life feels like a tornado just ripped through and it's all chaos. But Jesus is sustaining it all by the power of his word for his glory. And that might seem a little daunting. Like Jesus is just up in heaven looking down at us in all of our pain, in all of our difficulty, all of our suffering, and trying to squeeze every little last bit of glory he can get out of us. But the next few verses show us that he actually uses this glory, this power for our good. Christ is also the firstborn of a new creation. So jump back to verse 18 and we'll see this shift. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So there's two senses that you can use this word firstborn. Literally, the first person born into a family, or more figuratively, the one who has the authority of the oldest. In these first few verses, we saw that latter usage, that Jesus has authority over all creation because he's the son of God. And now, in the last second half of this song, it shifts to the other meaning. Jesus, Paul says, is the firstborn from the dead. It shifts from the focus on this current world that Jesus rules over, this current universe that's mired in sin and chaos and destruction towards the birth of a new creation, which began in Christ's resurrection from the dead. He was the first one born into that new creation, that new family. Jesus didn't stay in heaven just calling up to us, guys, it's a mess down there, come up here. Pull yourself out of that muck. Clean yourself off. Use your minds to invent clever ways to make yourself able to overcome these things, to avoid sickness and death. All of that would be a futile effort. But instead, Jesus came into this world. 
He took on our flesh. He lived the perfect life we couldn't. He died the inevitable death we deserve as judgment for our sins. And then he put his own body into the tomb, burying his body and the whole old creation with it. So that when he came out of that grave, he began a brand new creation for all who trust in him. That if we follow him, we can be certain when we enter the grave, we too will rise. He ascended into heaven, into his place of authority, where he rules over all things, finishing his work to make all things new. And so if you trust in him, you'll gladly follow him into the grave. As Justin well led us through the Heidelberg Catechism question, death is not a concern to us who are in Christ. We have confidence that it could be the next day, it could be three days later, it might be 500 years later, but we will rise from the dead into a new creation with Christ. Now, that's not to say we want to rush into the grave. That's not what Jesus intended. Instead, he leaves us here to be instruments, to rescue Others from this old world by being his hands and his feet to others. He says, Paul says in verse 18, Christ is head of the body, which is the church. From his throne in heaven, he acts as the head, making his decrees about how this world will unfold. And through the church, he accomplishes his work on earth. And what is that work? It's continuing what he did in his own death and resurrection. See, in verse 18, first we proclaim Christ as preeminent in our lives. He redeems us in order to show that he is in authority over all things. People should know from watching us, from listening to us, that Christ is the most important thing, not just in our lives, but in the whole universe. They should know from watching us That our greatest joy and hope is not in this life, but in the new creation to come. And this isn't just a solo project that we do on our own. We band together with others. We're not individualists. Verse 19 tells us the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him, in Christ. This is temple language. Paul's explaining here that that. Some temple things happening. Jesus is the temple of God. But if we are his body, then we are his temple. And the fullness of God, the fullness of God that upholds billions of galaxies is pleased to dwell right here among us. That should just make you sweat a little bit and get you excited. All at the same time, Jesus came to be the temple in order to build a bigger temple. But he's also the priest and he's also the sacrifice the priest offered in order to reconcile by his body, his own death on the cross, reconcile this old creation and all people who trust in him. The word reconcile means to take all these These things that don't fit together, that aren't working together, and to bring them together into unity, into a unified purpose. Those who are in Christ, you, 
I don't know how we would have ever ended up together as friends. We have different passions, different interests. We're going different directions in our lives. And he reconciles us to God and to one another for a unified purpose of accomplishing his new creation work in the world. The body of Christ, the church, this gathering of individuals is no ordinary worldly thing. We who were once separate, who didn't fit together, now are reconciled to work together to make known the supremacy of Christ our creator, the creator of all things, the firstborn of a new creation of which we are eager to get to. By being his body, we will continue his work of reconciliation Bringing others to God by doing the same thing. Proclaiming Christ as preeminent. Living in the world with Christ before our eyes. Working together to spread his glory. To be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with gospel fruit. And this is where Paul goes then in the rest of the book. Starting in verses 21 to 23. He calls us to live as a new humanity with Christ as our head. So let's read those, just 21 to 23 again. And you, all of you Colossian Christians, you Redemption City Church members, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you had heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So throughout this life, if you are a Christian, you follow Jesus, you're going to live with this constant tension, experiencing his work in your life now, but also longing for that future resurrected life. Theologians call this tension already not yet. We, we felt that tension earlier. I said, we, we want to go to the grave so we can be resurrected, but we don't want to go to the grave because we don't want to give death a foothold and any victory in our lives. And so we live in that tension of now, not yet. And we see that tension here in verses 21 and 22. You were once alienated from God, hostile in mind, but now he has reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. So if you trust in Jesus' death and resurrection today, he unifies you with God right now, this moment. It's not someday in the future. It is today. You can experience that forgiveness, that salvation today, free from guilt today, free from sin right now. And all the shame you carry, you could be unified with the church family of other people free from their sin, trying to walk towards that new creation. All of that is yours now, already today. But there's still a not yet here in verse 22. He continues, in order to, there's still a purpose, a future purpose, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There is the not yet, that future promise. 
Christ will raise you from the dead into a perfect relationship with God in a new creation where you get to live face to face with God. Know him personally. He says, come on close because you are holy and blameless and above reproach. Until then, we live as in in between people. We're between two worlds, as some have written. We are now the body of Christ in this world, awaiting the fullness of a body in a future world. The church is now unified for God's purposes to represent him in this life. But we really long for the day when we are a full new humanity in the life to come. So... Paul spends the rest of this book explaining how to live in this in-between, now-not-yet world. The rest of chapters 1 and 2 explain some challenges that you might face in this journey. First, he addresses suffering. He's been through much suffering, and he tells the Colossians, look, don't be surprised if difficulty comes your way. You live in a cursed world. Your body is going to fall apart. There is not going to be a single medical advance that will cure every disease and help you live forever in this cursed world. This world is going to die. We shouldn't expect our lives to go well. We shouldn't expect all the people around us, unredeemed humanity, to love us and welcome us and celebrate with us because they haven't been reconciled together with us. We have different priorities. But this is part of following Christ. He himself was rejected on the way to the grave to, create, to bring forward a new creation. And so we should expect the same if he is our head. This is participating in the sufferings of Jesus. And along that journey of suffering, there will be temptations to try to relieve you of the pain, to try to give you comforts, to try to bring people around you to lean on. To lessen the burden of looking so strange to the rest of the world. So in chapter 2, he explains a bunch of those temptations. They're actually false spirituality. The Colossians faced a mix of many different spiritual, worldly worldviews where... You had the political structure of the Roman world. You had all of their their pagan gods, the different gods that they worshipped. And then mixed into that was some Jewish traditions. Oftentimes these things would sound very similar to Christian faithfulness. Should I love my neighbor? That person over there who I don't know if they love Jesus is telling me so. Maybe they have some good Christian advice. They might look like they have power to survive illness and pain. They will ease your suffering or provide you with a community. But if they don't focus and exalt Christ over all and have their eyes set on Christ as the firstborn of a new creation, his death and resurrection creating a new humanity, these are false religions that must be rejected. Discerning all these difficulties will definitely take Wisdom that only comes by looking to Christ overall. Yet despite these challenges, we press on. So chapters 3 and 4 sets the pattern of faithfulness for people in this in-between life. This is how we live until Jesus finally calls the last saint out of sin. He explains 
We must live out our new humanity existence as best we can right now. Chapter 3, he starts, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So at the end of chapter 2, he just warned the church, do not submit your lives to all the regulations, precepts, teachings of the world. Those who exalt themselves in the world. All of it is false religion, even if they don't say it's religion. Instead, we should be preparing ourselves for heaven. And what do you think we're going to be doing a lot of in heaven? We're going to do a lot of this, worshiping Jesus. And so, why not do that now? We should gather regularly to put our eyes on Jesus so more and more we can look to Him and be inspired by Him and be led by Him and be transformed into His likeness and be more eager to be with Him. This, what we do every Sunday, is what helps us put behind us our old way of living and put on, Paul says, Christ's way of living. So he explains as he did to the Ephesians. We should let this transformation take over all areas of our lives. We gather together to delight in Christ and be made like him. And then we go out into the world. We go into our homes, our marriages, our parenting, our workplaces. And we live with a focus of Christ overall. You love your husband. You love your wife knowing that Christ is over your marriage. And he promises an even better relationship in the new creation. You parent your kids, training them to submit to Jesus who upholds all creation. But give them hope of a new creation to come. You go into your workplace and work in such a way that your wages and everything your money can buy is not your reward. But just being part of Christ, holding things together and building a new creation is your great reward. In every other place of life, just kind of the coverall statement, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Make the best use of the time. You don't know how much longer your body will last. Today could be the day your flesh quits. Today could be the day that Jesus returns and brings everything into judgment and finally brings a new creation. Don't waste another moment. Surrender to Christ overall. Make your life proclaim Christ over all and display your hope in the new birth to a new creation by his death and resurrection. Set your mind on Christ over all. It might seem weird. It'll obviously look strange to the rest of the world. It might feel fruitless or like your life is out of control. Like your life is full of difficulty, too impossible to overcome. Maybe it seems like the world around us, when you check the news every day or every week, the whole world has lost its mind. Because it has. Apart from Christ, it doesn't know what the purpose of life is. But don't despair, friends. 
The world is dying away, but Christ is still over all. And he is holding all the galaxies together exactly where he wants them to be. He is controlling every electron, every atom, every molecule, every cell, every electrical impulse going from your brain to your fingers, to your eyes and ears. He is controlling it all to accomplish his purpose, to make all things new. In Christ, you are now free. To just be you. Be weak. Be ordinary. Gather with the saints to worship. Build your family. Labor faithfully. And trust Christ over all to finish his work. That hope is yours. That promise is guaranteed. When you set your mind on Christ over all. Let's pray. God. We can say things like 93 million miles and 580 quadrillion miles to try to imagine the immense power of our king. It's just hard for us in our ordinary, simple, small lives. So I pray you would help reveal more of Christ to us that we could trust He is in control and He has made all things new by His death and resurrection. We just take a step forward towards him. Help us, God, by your spirit. And help Redemption City Church be a people with Christ on our minds, Christ before our eyes, Christ in our work, Christ in our marriages, Christ in our rest, Christ in our death, so that Christ will be our resurrection. Amen.